Hey guys, I'm Chris. Greetings and salutations, everybody. I'm Robert. Ah, oh, damn. I should have thought of that. Mm-hmm. Beat you to it. Well, as you're beating me, I have to say, we are the Film Flamers. <laughs> I guess he didn't say off. We are the Film Flamers. Stop pulling my dick. <laughs> Stop pulling my dick, Heather. <laughs> oh, all the podcasts want us as either a friend or a fuck. We're worshipped in podcast land. Oh. And we're only a sophomore. <laughs> I thought you was a junior. And we're only a junior. I don't know. What year are we? We're graduated by now, though. Wow. <laughs> we're here to talk about Heathers. <laughs> it's going to be very. Um, so, yeah, it's February. And we normally talk about, you know, romance. We like to put you in a trance. But this February, we're talking about a different kind of love. The special love that only frenemies can attain. That's right. Starting with Heathers, and we have another very, very fun movie to talk about next week, but let's get into this one, right? Platonic High School Love? Platonic High School Love. <laughs> <laughs> the movie. Colon, the movie. So you know it's good. Yes. Heathers is a 1989 American black comedy written by Daniel Waters and directed by Michael Lehman in both their respective film debuts. The film stars Winona Ryder, Christian Slater, Shannon Doherty, Lizanne Falk, and Kim Walker. The film focuses on four teenage girls, three of whom are named Heather, who have formed a clique in an Ohio high school, and the dangerous, misanthropic new student who wants to kill the popular kids and stage their deaths as suicides. (gasps) Yes. Daniel Waters wrote the script intending it to be a response to the more optimistic teen comedies of the era, mostly those directed by John Hughes, by presenting a cynical teenage view of high school with dark satire. He originally wanted Stanley Kubrick to direct the film, dumbass, because his admiration of the of the director and his own satirical film, Dr. Strangelove. The music for the film was composed by David Newman. Oh. Dream big. Dr. Strangelove. He was, he was expecting Kubrick to... No. Kubrick would never touch this fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> Good Lord. God. What's yeah, your damage? What's your damage, Daniel? My God, I just wrote this spec script. I'm going to give it straight to Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's your damage, listeners? This is Heather's. I wanted to be a member of the most powerful clique in school. Dear diary, Heather said she teaches people real life. You were nothing before you met me. You were a Girl Scout cookie. Does it not bother you that everybody in this school thinks that you're a piranha? Like I give a shit. Heather number one just looked right at me. You a Heather? No, I'm a Veronica. I don't really like my friends. I don't really like your friends either. They're people I work with and our job is being popular. Maybe it's time to take a vacation. My best friend. And your worst enemy. Same difference. My teen angst has a body count. This is a tragic thing. Hallelujah. We scare people into not being assholes. What did you say, dickhead? (laughs) (laughs) 
did not want them dead. You did too. Did not. You did too, not. Sir. Shut up. I love my dead gay son. You were out of control. That knife is filthy. What do you think I'm gonna do with it? Take out her tonsils? Ha! Is this as good for you as it is for me? Life can suck. At Westerberg High School in Sherwood, Ohio, Veronica Sawyer, played by Winona Ryder, is part of a popular but feared clique, along with three other wealthy and beautiful girls with the same first name, Heather. Heather Duke, played by Shannon Doherty, Heather McNamara, played by Lisa and Falk, and the school's ruthless queen bitch, Heather Chandler, played by Kim Walker, who's wanted by everyone at school as either a friend or a fuck. The four girls often play croquet in Veronica's backyard, where Heather C. can easily wield supreme executive power over the others. Tired of the clique abusing its power, Veronica longs for her old life with her kinder but less popular friends. She becomes fascinated with Jason, J.D. Dean, played by Christian Slater, a new student and rebellious outsider, after he pulls out a gun and fires blanks to scare football player bullies Kurt Kelly and Ram Sweeney. Something about the name Ram that I really, really like. Hmm. I wonder what that means. Veronica attends a frat party with Heather Chandler, who leads her to believe it will be very, but it is, in fact, not very at all. Veronica refuses to have sex with one of the frat bros, unlike Heather C., who awkwardly blows a frat bro out of obligation and very little consent. After Veronica drunkenly blows chunks on her, Heather C. vows to destroy her reputation. Later that night, J.D. shows up by surprise at Veronica's house and the two have sex outside. They express to each other their mutual hatred of Heather C.'s tyranny and their desire to fuck her gently with a chainsaw. The next morning, Veronica and J.D. break into Heather C.'s house, planning to get revenge by using a fake hangover cure to make her vomit. J.D. pours drain cleaner into a mug, but Veronica dismisses him, thinking he's making a mean joke. She mixes orange juice and milk together instead. However, Veronica accidentally brings the wrong mug to Heather C.'s room. J.D. notices this, but says nothing. He serves Heather C. the drain cleaner, killing her. Veronica panics, and J.D. urges her to forge a dramatic suicide note in Heather C.'s handwriting. The school and community regard Heather C.'s apparent suicide as a tragic decision made by a troubled teenager, making her even more worshipped in death than in life. Meanwhile, Heather D. uses the attention surrounding Heather C.'s death to gain popularity, becoming the clique's new leader and de facto queen bitch. After Heather C.'s funeral, Heather M. convinces Veronica to go with her, Kurt, and Ram on a double date because it will be very... JD finds the four teens that evening in a field, and Veronica leaves him as Kurt passes out while Ram drunkenly slobbers all over Heather M. How not very. The following day, the boys spread a false rumor about Veronica performing oral sex on them, ruining her reputation. JD proposes that he and Veronica lure the boys into the woods, shoot them with tranquilizers, and humiliate them by staging the scene to look like they were lovers participating in a suicide pact. In the forest, JD shoots Ram, but Veronica's shot misses Kurt, who runs away. JD chases Kurt back towards Veronica, who, realizing that the bullets are in fact lethal, fatally shoots him in panic. At their funeral, the boys are made into martyrs to homophobia. I love my dead gay son. <laughs> <laughs> Growing increasingly disturbed by JD's behavior, Veronica breaks up with him. JD blackmails Heather D into getting every student to sign a petition that, unbeknownst to her, is intended to act as a mass suicide note. 
Given her new queen bitch position, Heather D has no problem accomplishing this. Meanwhile, Martha Dump Truck Dunstock, a large girl who is a frequent target of bullying, pins a suicide note to her chest and walks into oncoming traffic. She survives, but is badly injured and mocked by her peers for attempting to copy the popular kids. Heather M. calls a radio show to discuss her depression, and Heather D. tells the entire school about the radio call the next day, making Heather M. a pariah. She, too, attempts suicide in a school bathroom, but Veronica intervenes as suicide is becoming not very at all. Veronica returns home, and her parents say that J.D. stopped by to tell them that he was worried she would attempt suicide. He leaves a note revealing he can successfully imitate her handwriting and a Barbie doll hanging in her room. J.D. breaks into Veronica's house with a plan to kill Heather D., but the entire plot was in Veronica's dream. Realizing that J.D. plans to kill her, she fakes her own suicide by hanging. J.D. finds her and, assuming she's dead, gives a monologue revealing his plan to blow up the entire school at a pep rally and make it look like a mass suicide. During the fateful pep rally, Veronica confronts J.D. in the boiler room as he plants dynamite. She shoots him, and his switchblade cuts the wires to the detonator. Veronica goes outside, and J.D. follows her with a bomb strapped to his chest. He offers a personal eulogy and detonates the bomb, killing himself. As students and faculty rush outside to see what happened, Veronica walks back inside, dirty and disheveled from the explosion. She approaches Heather D. and asserts that Heather D. is no longer in charge. As Heather D. watches in horror as Veronica then invites Martha Dunstock to spend prom night watching movies together, a night that is surely to be very, 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 the end. (laughs) The very end? Heathers was screened at the 1989 Sundance Film Festival and was theatrically released by New World Pictures, then going through a bankruptcy on March 31st, 1989 in 35 theaters. It earned a little more than $177,000 opening weekend, securing the 16th spot at the box office. The film would never play on more than 54 screens during its run and would never rank any higher than its opening weekend spot. Ultimately, Heathers would earn $1.1 million against a reported budget of $3 million. It was considered a flop, but like most small films at the time, it would go on to find an audience on home video and cable TV. And that's where I watched it. I watched it on HBO, and then the next time it came on, I made sure to record it onto tape, and then I watched it... Ceaselessly. A thousand and one times. Seamlessly. Yes. <laughs> Seamlessly and ceaselessly, I watched Heathers. Okay. Heathers holds a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh. The audience score sits at 83%. The site's consensus reads, dark, cynical, and subversive. Heathers gently applies a chainsaw to the conventions of a high school movie, changing the game for teen comedies to follow. Writing in April 1989 for the Washington Post, journalist Dessen Thompson wrote that it may be the nastiest, cruelest fun you can have without actually having to study law or gird leather products. If movies were food, Heathers would be a cynic's chocolate binge. Chicago Sun-Times critic Roger Ebert gave the film 2.5 stars out of 4 and wrote that Heathers is a morbid comedy about peer pressure in high school, about teenage suicide, and about the deadliness of cliques that not only exclude, but also maim and kill. While conceding its ability to provoke thought and shock, Ebert questioned how the mixed sensibility of a dark murder comedy and cynical morality play led to difficulty in understanding its point of view, while remarking that, quote, Adulthood could be defined as the process of learning to be shocked by things that do not shock teenagers, but that is not a notion that has occurred to Lehman. 
I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that either. Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to think that maybe this would have been a much better pairing with Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yes, I feel like both of those movies are like super dark satire with a point to say about movies that have come before it, right? It's almost like parody into satire, but it's like focusing on something that happens in real life, right? Yeah, I think the satire is a little bit more successful in Drop Dead Gorgeous. I would agree. I think that this movie is at its heart just a, a really dark comedy. Yeah, but if anything, this is the more cult classic. Yes, I feel like this is, well, it's also an older movie, and so it's had enough time to grow legs, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we can get into all that. Sure. It does have some accolades. Uh, At the Sundance Film Festival, it was nominated for Grand Jury Prize. At the Independent Spirit Awards that year, it was nominated for Best Female Lead and Best Screenplay, and it won Best First Feature. So really, uh, Grand Jury Prize is, uh, that's weird to me to see that and like nothing else. It's, yeah, it's like Best Picture. So it was nominated for Best Picture, and then it was nominated for literally nothing else in Sundance. That's so in anywhere else, except for Independent Spirit Awards, which right. is weird to me. I almost never have seen that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the Independent Spirit Awards oftentimes are like sometimes the Oscar saving grace, right? So really small movies that don't get a whole lot of attention will get the accolades from the Spirit Awards. The Spirit Awards always take place the night before the Oscars. You know what I mean? It's they're like hand in hand kind of. It's like a pep rally. Yes. <laughs> it's like an explosive pep rally. <laughs> it's very. Oh, okay. Well, Heathers would become a cult classic and would retain popularity with following generations. The film's quotable dialogue, which Waters wanted to be timeless, is often used today through pop culture. The film is one of the most cited in the Oxford English Dictionary. In 2010, the film was adapted into a stage musical with an off-Broadway run in 2014. An updated TV series ran for one season on the Paramount Network. The series wanted to capture the issues faced by teens of the time while maintaining the original's brand of social commentary. Despite some critical praise for the cast, the series was ultimately canceled after its first five-episode run. When was that? Um, Just a couple years ago, maybe like five years ago. Okay. I watched it. Interesting. Um, it's not it's not very good, <clears throat> but mostly because I f- they they were really trying to capture like teenage issues at the time, right? Like okay. there's like that was back when like like the trans movement was first like gaining a lot of legs, right? So there was like gay characters and things like that. It just wasn't this wasn't good. Like if you're gonna Heather's is Heather's, it shouldn't it shouldn't be remade. The yeah. musical, however, I've listened to the soundtrack and it's very funny. So I okay. mean, there's that. I can see that. So we talk about our cast a little bit. Yeah. So Winona Ryder is perfectly cast, in my opinion, as Veronica Sawyer. I would agree completely. I think Winona Ryder carries this fucking movie, honestly. Was she in Tim Burton movie before this or was it after? Did he just get really like obsessed with this movie and this writer? So before uh, Heather's, Winona Ryder was in Beetlejuice and um, Edward Scissorhands. Both? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's just interesting because there's some crossover with the, you know, some of the cast, obviously, like Winona Ryder. And, um, you know, I think like the the preacher in Heathers is was one of the guests or whatever in Beetlejuice. Yeah, he's like the interior designer. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've talked about him before. Mm-hmm. And the composer, David Newman, also did some stuff. Uh, I think his first film credit was like Frankenweenie. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, oftentimes, and of course, like we said in Batman Returns, he <laughs> went back and and sought out this writer to do Batman Returns. And I mean, when I watch this movie, sometimes I get I get a very uh, Tim Burton vibe from it, right? 
I feel like a lot of it is pretty whimsical. I think there's like a really good color palette that they stick to, like solid colors. I mean, it just seems very Burton-y, which is weird that he would go after fucking Stanley Kubrick to direct something like this when Tim Burton could have easily directed this movie, I feel. Yeah, I felt that too. And I always feel that when I watch this movie. Uh Uh-huh. But I mean, and I don't know if that's for better or worse. I, maybe Tim Burton would have like taken it in a weird direction or something. I think it's like the that. darkness of it is the cast is yeah. the way it was shot. I think it was it was intentionally done like Tim Burton, and Tim Burton liked it enough that, of course, he went on to ask for that that you know writer mm-hmm. so, and composer. Apparently, yeah, I think like it's one of those like art imitates life, imitates art, and imitates life type of cycles. You know? Yes, completely. I mean, I could see why Tim Burton would like this movie. It's very Burton esque. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, even down to the the dialogue kind of, I can I can see it. So But that's but that said, like Winona Ryder, like I said that she's perfectly cast and her delivery is perfect. Um, unlike most of the rest of the cast to me. There are some standouts, you know what I mean? But like not not as much. I think Winona Ryder, like you said, is perfectly cast. I think she's fucking hilarious in this. Her delivery is perfect every single time. I feel like she really embodies this character a lot. Yeah. But I really don't think anyone else in this movie was really prepared to be an actor. Like, <laughs> fully. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, they're bad. They're like a lot of these people are, are especially the Heathers. They're, they're a lot of them, their delivery is just bad. Yeah. Um, the only other like good actor that's one of the principles I would say is Christian Slater. But at the same time, noting that he's doing such a good job, he's also making some choices that I actually hated. Yeah. I feel like Christian Slater honestly in this movie is just doing his best fucking jack nicholson yes thank you yeah. i was thinking that the entire time i was like stop it you you like it's so obvious that you're trying to be jack nicholson and like a lot of that is christian slater i was like did he model his entire like persona in acting because he's he kind of has that cadence a little bit but especially in this movie yeah i mean well and i i used to think because i thought this way you know back when i used to watch this movie all the time right because even as a kid i think i saw this first when i was like 10 years old 10 or 11 right and i immediately just like latched onto this movie and loved it and i had seen lots of movies by the time i was 11 and i was just like why is he acting like jack nicholson you know and every time i saw christian slater in a movie after that i was like okay so he just acts like jack nicholson is that just him or whatnot, but I think maybe this movie just colored my opinion of that. Because literally every time he opens his mouth, every time he makes a facial expression, he's got Jack Nicholson all over it. Was this one of his first roles? Yeah, I would think so. I think after this, he went on to make uh, like Pump Up the Volume and things like that. But I, I don't remember Christian Slater from a lot before this. Pump up the jam while your feet are stomping. <laughs> <laughs> and the jam is pumping. Look at the crowd thumping. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be stuck in my head for the rest of the night. Pump up the volume is a good movie, though. I liked it, too. Yeah. They wanted to do, like, cuffs and shit like that. Like, after this movie, Christian Slater really took off. And I feel like Winona Ryder had already taken off by the time this came out. She had, you know, but of course he takes off and then has a hard stop, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't remember him after like the mid 90s. And I was watching this last night and I was like, oh, my God, this is the second time that we're going to talk about a movie that had Winona Ryder and Christian Slater in it because they were both in Dracula. And I was like, he wasn't in Dracula. He was an interview with the Empire. (laughs) I was like, what's wrong with my brain while I was watching this? Like, that's wrong. All those facts are wrong. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, like the the watching the two leads in this movie, so Winona and Christian, I'm like, one does a much, much better job. And I feel like Winona's performance is 
just outstanding. And Christian Slater's is good. He's great acting, but he's making the wrong choices. Yes. Versus she's doing great acting and making the right choices. Exactly. And I feel like if they had had maybe a more comfortable director who was not doing his feature debut, right? With a screenwriter who has all these pipe, pipe dreams of having another director there in the first place. Yeah. I mean, he might've stepped in and been like, hey, could you tone down the Nicholson a little bit? You know? Because every time he arches his fucking eyebrow, I'm like, oh my fucking God. I mean, like, it's Nicholson. So, yeah, I think like when we say that he wanted the director, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick to do this. Maybe he was really thinking of The Shining and it was like, well, I couldn't get Stanley Kubrick or Jack Nicholson. So please, <laughs> I'll try and shoot this like I'm Stanley Kubrick and you try and act like it's Jack Nicholson and one of them succeeded. It's so noticeable and it's so, so weird that he would go for that particular actor to model anything after for this character because this character is nothing like it's anything nothing that Jack Nicholson has ever played. Yeah. I mean, he's never been like a rebellious teenager in any movie that I know of. The closest thing I can think of is like the bird who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, or yeah cuckoo's nest is yeah. the closest thing, right? But the one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and so I, I don't know. I have, I have problems with Christian Slater in this movie. Yeah, and Shannon <clears throat> Doherty is also like not completely out of her acting chrysalis here. Uh, <laughs> is she? Has she ever come out of that chrysalis? Yes, for moments. For for moments, she or two now. Yeah, but we can't talk badly about her because she is dying. Is she really? Yes. Oh, that's sad. She's I stage do four like, breast cancer. Oh, I I do like Shannon Doherty. You know what I mean? But not not necessarily from this movie. That's all Brenda from Nine Hundred Two One Zero. You know what I mean? And One Charmed. So, but one of the meanest jokes on, on Will and Grace was making fun. I was like, "Do you look like Shannon Doherty?" He's like, "No, you don't look like you were painted by a Picasso or something." <laughs> Poor Shannon Doherty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <clears throat> She's serviceable on this. I think that she starts out really good. I mean, her character has a definite arc. Right. Like she starts out as like the the quiet Heather. Right. The one who feels trampled upon the most. Right. She's not a cheerleader like That's the other. Alluded that she's a lot smarter than yes. the other Heathers. I mean, she's reading Moby Dick. I and, wanted them to go somewhere with that, you know. Right. But there's a huge transition from from that original Shannon Doherty character, that bookish, quiet, trampled upon Heather to like running the school, like almost immediately after that suicide. Yeah. Or murder. But so, I mean, her character has a huge arc. She just, I don't think they give her enough room or enough things to do. Her character doesn't have enough to do, really. No. And the other Heathers are serviceable. You know, Lisanne Falk, Kim Walker. I think Kim Walker does a pretty good job. She does, but some of her delivery, again, is just like, that's not quite, it's like she doesn't understand the line she's saying. Like, Mm -hmm. it's too adult or something. And she would never, you can tell. That she would never say something like, like they that. They say it dry, you know, and she doesn't, she not only says it dryly, she says it like she doesn't know what it means. It's true. It's a little too, a little too just like reading the words. It's not very, very. It's not very, very. And the thing is, what's really sad is that she is given like some of the best lines in this movie for the brief moments that she's in it, right? Yeah. I feel like that, that, that cafeteria scene, that really long cafeteria scene at the beginning. She, yeah, she has moments of really good delivery. Yes. I, I just think that scene is masterful. Like it's well written, right? It really shows you like the entire microcosm of this particular high school in this really long, like 10, almost 15 minute scene, right? And I feel like you get to know her character a lot and she has some of the best lines. And then after that, it's just like, Meh. it's really, really good storytelling. 
in the beginning of this movie because you kind of get the microcosm immediately. And what better place to do that than a cafeteria? That's right. At a high school, you know. But I usually don't pay that much attention to acting when I'm watching movies, right? If I'm transported, I'm transported. And then I think about it after the fact and go, wow, that was a really good performance. But uh, and this time I kept getting taken out of the movie just by some of the, the really bad kind of dry performances. And I feel like that has to do with the direction, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm looking at Michael Lehman here and I see that he's done uh, Heathers, but he kind of transitions to more comedies like with Airheads, uh, The Truth About Cats and Dogs, 40 Days, 40 Nights. And that's it, really, um, as far as like the notables. And that's, you know, on TV, he did get a better career. He, he did some on like the West Wing, Larry Sanders show, uh, Big Love, True Love. Um, I think that's supposed to say True Blood. Cal- uh, Californication, American Horror Story mm. and uh, Veronica Mars. So he's had a much better, I think, or successful TV career where the whole thing, you know, isn't hanging on his shoulders. Yeah, because, I mean, like some of these, the rest of these movies, Airheads, Truth About Cats and Dogs, um, are like kind of like blips. You know what I mean? Like I remember them, you know, but like nothing has like the lasting power. I still use lines from The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Oh, really? I think I've only seen like one time. I certainly use lines from Heather's like sometimes on the daily, but um, no, Janine Garofalo's line where, um, you know, someone asks her if she's okay or whatever. And she's like, Oh, it's nothing, an air, you know, a rooftop in an AK 47 can't handle. That's, that's from that. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's nothing a rooftop in an AK 47 can't handle. This is a children's movie, isn't it? <laughs> the truth about cats and dogs. No, it's her is Janine Garofalo and Uma Thurman. Oh, I'm thinking about something like else a entirely. Yeah. And it's about like the beautiful woman versus like the mousy, like smart one, you know, Okay, and who gets the love and everything else. So Janine Garofalo was recently in a horror movie last year that was on Shudder. Right. And I was so excited to see her in a movie again. It's been a long time. I used to love Janine Garofalo and then she just kind of became a tumblerina. Yeah, she really did. <laughs> but I mean, early nineties, like she was it, right? I, mean, I know she's on my side, but. Sometimes you don't want someone on your side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, But some of these TV shows that he's done are pretty big, right? And they have some lasting power. I mean, a lot of these shows have like rabid fans. But at the same time, uh, he's not responsible for their character development. He's not responsible. These are already established characters and actors, you know, and he's coming in to do a job, a technical job. And so if you're not an actor's director, being on a TV show for like one episode at a time isn't the biggest deal. No, that's true because you really have no control over that. Nope. And those actors are already like well-established in their roles and they know what they're doing. So it's easy. So maybe you're right. I mean, he's not an actor's director, but uh, I mean, in the case of like Winona Ryder, maybe he just like lucked into having a a gifted actress in this particular role. Well, some people have it, whatever that is, right? Especially back in the day, you know, and uh, Winona Ryder had it. She had something. She had charisma in a way that she delivered and looked on screen and would hold herself on screen to be a presence, right? And so she doesn't need much help. No, she doesn't. And I still think I still think that she has that it factor, right? Anyway, moving on. We also talked about writer Daniel Waters uh, on Batman. And of course, he did Heathers and Batman Returns. And then he went on to do like a Demolition Man and Vampire Academy. And that's it. So it's like, I don't know what happened with his writer. What the hell is Vampire Academy? I don't know. I just wrote it down because I thought maybe someone would recognize it and our listeners. Demolition Man. What a piece of shit. I feel that like that was a made for TV. I think like, like Tim Curry might have been. Like the headmaster or whatever. It was like a Harry Potter version for, of like vampires. Though. Oh, Lord. Okay. No. And it had like witches and other things in it. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Maybe. Either way, I have no idea what it is. I do know what Demolition Man is and that's a piece of shit. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why 
their careers didn't like kick off after this but because he, he's he's really good at uh like a little bit of tongue-in-cheek darkness you know i'm surprised like tim burton didn't pick him up from for other things but well i their careers didn't take off after this is because people didn't see this movie until years after it was released well he got because of this movie he got batman returns well, but then true. there was such a backlash to how batman returns was written yeah that's right but yeah, I mean, th- this movie, like, it, it took a long time for this movie to find an audience. Like, clearly, we talked about, like, what it made at the box office, which is, like, nothing. Nothing. And it seemed like it didn't have a whole lot of, like, support anyway in its release. I mean, like, that film, well, production company and distribution company was going through bankruptcy anyway. But if at most it played on 54 screens, like, yeah, there's no way. No this movie never had a chance. No. And so it really relied on like cable and sounds like a bad Sundance deal, right? Yeah. For grand jury. And then someone like put it up and then put, didn't believe it enough for wide release. And then that was kind of bait and switched. I'd like to to hear about the story behind that from this director and Mm -hmm. maybe it's out there somewhere, but I haven't found it. Well, and I don't know like enough about the history of Sundance, like by 1989, how long had it been going on and so on and so forth. I just, I don't know how long, how long that festival has been in running, but. Who's the actor that started that? My mom's favorite actor. Redford. Redford. Robert Redford. Yeah. It's all his fault. Yeah. We blame him for Heather's lack of money. I I blame him for most things. But. (laughs) Oh my God. My life's in shambles. Fuck you, Robert Redford. (laughs) You ruined it. Um, I don't know. I'm super glad that it found an audience eventually. Right. And I, I feel like. Whenever I mention Heathers to people, they know what it is. They've seen the movie or at the very, very least, they know some lines of dialogue. And that's enough for a movie to have some sort of lasting impression. So, I mean, whether or not their careers took off after this, they succeeded in having something that is sort of like this cultural touchstone that will probably stand the test of time. Like people will keep watching Heathers and to some extent, especially now that it's more poignant than I think it would have been in the eighties. Yeah. I I completely agree. School violence wasn't unheard of. And certainly teen suicide was a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, which was sensationalized at the time, which brings us to our themes. Oh my God. This movie was uh, an extremely dark deconstruction of the then massively popular wave of eighties teen movies. Obviously John Hughes. I'm going to open this beer. Hold on. How very. How very. <laughs> Dare you. So, uh, you know, obviously it it utilizes all of the tropes, you know, the the young love and the clicks, you know, and the, you know, the jock prep, beautiful girl, you know, clicks and, and, and how high school is kind of categorizes people and splits them up, but it's all in this one big kind of melting pot. Right. Which is always kind of like the, the, the trope and the archetype I want to say. Yeah. Um, there's always archetypes in those John Hughes movies, especially like breakfast club breakfast club for sure is the yeah. closest thing to Heather's that he ever made. Yes. And so I, I feel like fitting in uh, is, is a theme here. And this is obviously satirized with three times, you know, the Heather's. Well, and also I, I feel like this, Having three Heathers, right, is more than just like forming a, a click and like fitting in because you have one like commonality. I think this also goes to show you like how kids were being raised and stuff like that at that time and how parents are just like everything is the same, like yeah. no matter what. That's a very 80s thing, right? Like everyone named their kid a certain thing. There were a thousand and one Heathers or whatever happened to be the popular name at the time. Yeah, I was I was Chris N. Because there were so many Chris's. There was a Chris B and there was a Chris K and like, yeah. And there was a Christine and a Christina and a Christy. Yep. See, and I think that happened a lot in the 80s. 
I mean, I was the only Robert that I knew for a very long time. The only other Robert I knew was my grandfather and my doctor. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But now, now there's just Roberts everywhere. I turn. I feel like it, yeah, I'd, posers. I wouldn't have thought that of as any kind of rare name. No, I mean it's not. My parents set out to make you know really unique names, and so they named my sister Penelope, and then they failed utterly <laughs> when they named me, <laughs> and I was almost Michael. Oh Lord. But yeah, I mean, I feel like fitting in is a huge like theme of this movie. I think I think that that's also a big theme in John Hughes's movies. I think he takes a lot of the John Hughes tropes, like you said, and sort of like blends them into his own movie. But everybody in Heather's wants to fit in somewhere. And it's funny because like they all end up being, you know, carbon copies. Right. Yeah. And so it's funny that he he obviously it's titled this way, Heather's. And so there's three of these Heather's that everyone wants to be your fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's funny that they're all the same name, but obviously we're in on the joke. Um, obviously, this is also about teen angst. Um, and there, I noticed something in here as well, which is like, I don't think it was intentional. It's just the way it was kind of incidentally, um, which is hands off parenting in the 80s. The latchkey kids. I mean, I was one. Yeah. So but yeah, I mean, I and also I feel like that kind of parenting style is kind of prevalent amongst like wealthy people. At least maybe that's a predetermined thing that I have in my brain. Well, I think this is satirized because all this stuff is happening. Meanwhile, she comes home and it's like this snippy conversation with her parents. And then it's like, do you want some pate? And that's it. <laughs> Great pate, but I'm going to have to motor if I'm going to make that funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I smoke these damn things? Because you're an idiot. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what their parenting style is. Yeah. It's not until the end when her mom like sort of gives that that biting commentary about like, you know, kids only say they want to be treated like adults when they're actually being treated like adults. And I'm like, oh, my God. She, yeah, she had like this 30 second Huxtable moment, you right. know, and like, I'm just like <laughs> and I'm like, OK, but then they're like, you should stay away from sharp objects and everything else. She just goes upstairs and then she's not bothered at all. Like nope, her parents She's are just like, up there like, yeah. Pretending to hang herself yeah. and shit. I mean, the, the parenting is completely hands off. And the thing is that we really only get to see Veronica's parents and JD's dad, right? Neither one of them have very good parenting skills, but. And I would say that this is like, you, you could even see this in the 80s, which you do. Um, I think like most poignantly later on, which is kind of feels like an 80s horror movie with it. It follows where the adults aren't ever even really shown. That's true. Kind of off screen. And uh, they're just not not a part of the story. But I, I can't say because I keep thinking of things like um, Nightmare on Elm Street, where the parents, at least in the first two, are pretty fucking hands on. Well, because they were part of the plot. <laughs> you know, they had to be, but they they were hands on, but they were part of the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a completely different kind of thing. But um, yeah, the parenting in this is just ridiculous to me, but hilarious, though. I mean, I think yes. that's like a really funny joke. It is a lot of it. The teen angst stuff, I mean, this this movie really is like a precursor to everything that like the WB ever put on or like my so-called life and things like that. Like, I really feel like this movie deals with angst in ways that John Hughes's movies don't, except for maybe The Breakfast Club, maybe Pretty in Pink. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But everything else is kind of jovial and lighthearted and they sort of like dance around the angst. But literally in this movie, like everybody has angsty feelings, like even the popular kids to an extent. I mean, we get to see Heather Chandler be a complete bitch to everybody. And then we see her at that party and we feel bad for her for a minute. You know, do we? yeah, I mean, I do because she, 
she's there. She wants to be popular. She wants to be noticed. And she's willing to go through all these links to do it, right? The look on her face when she starts to blow that fucking frat boy is kind of heartbreaking to see like the links that people will go through to maintain their popularity. But how much of that, like maybe I'm thinking of this too specifically, Mm -hmm. but it's like the only people from that high school that are there is Heather C and Veronica. Like who would know, you know, that you're even there. Like who cares if you're at a college party? I feel like there's a rotating guest list. Like she's taking Veronica this particular time, but she could have taken Heather M at some point. I doubt she ever took Heather D, you know, but of course I don't know. I mean, she would go back and talk about it. I don't know how. Would you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Have a brain tumor for breakfast? My God! But I think it was really like the whole thing zooming out was really trying to be a biting satire of sensationalism of teen suicide, right? But unfortunately, this didn't really kind of come through, which is another kind of thing of this writer. He does everything kind of satirically, and so the thing that he's really trying to be satirical about kind of loses loses focus right because the cult fans focused way more on the heroism of veronica killing off the school bullies than the actual satire and sensationalism of the media for teen suicide i would agree i feel like this movie really just becomes a a way for like underdogs to get rid of the people who are oppressing them and if anything it feels like they're making fun of teen suicide yeah. Instead of actually satirizing people's reaction to it. Having that fucking song, I feel. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> For like, literally. Teenage do suicide. Don't do it. I mean, like, <laughs> they're 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 really taking a really heavy <laughs> heavy subject matter <laughs> and making light of it. Um <clears throat> I also feel like maybe if they're doing that, if they're trying to like satirize sensationalism of teen suicide, um it doesn't work, obviously, in this movie. Yeah. But I, ultimately, I feel like it was like a means to an end to make it more dark. But. I never saw this when I was in high school or younger. I saw this later on when okay. I was like a young adult. And I guess I, I can't watch this movie and see it for what it is as like a high schooler with those eyes. Because watching this now, I'm just like, this is so dumb. Like your your high school is your whole world. And it's such a small, tiny little blip on the radar of time of your life. That like, how would anything that happens at high school matter? Like in the grand scheme of things ever. And I'm just like, that's what I was thinking about kind of when I was thinking about all the suicide was how meaningless it is. Um, At the same time, kind of like raising my eyebrow at how they're dealing with it on the Mm -hmm. screen and how it's written, you know, but it's, it's still clever, you know, but it would be be interesting to see people that are actively in high school or actively were in high school during this time and how they would have seen value or meaning in this movie. Well, because when I first saw it, I certainly wasn't in high school. I was way too young. Yeah. Obviously. Right. And I, I cannot tell you why I latched onto this movie so much when I was such a young kid, like preteen kind of age. It also you prepared know? you and kind of trained you to be a mean girl. It really did. It helped out. It gave me it gave me a lexicon <laughs> for when I finally got to high school. Because let's face it, you were a Heather. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was kind of a Heather. I mean, I still am kind of a Heather. I'm just like a nicer Heather until someone turns around and I'm like, let's talk about this bitch like right now. Like, <laughs> I'm not very nice, but <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, and the things, the thing that I was watching this last night before the recording and I was like, there's lots of, there's a lot of gay jokes in this. Like they say the word fag a lot. 
in this movie. Yeah, I was like trying to decide whether I should be uncomfortable or not. And I was uncomfortable. And I was like, should I be though? You know, and it, it just like didn't sit right because they're saying all those things and saying the names. But they did do some things that kind of put a lantern on it a little bit. Like Christian Slater has a line, you know, when he's like, I love my dead gay son. And he was like, I, you know, I wonder if he would be. If you were saying that, if you were still alive or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> there are moments and I, I feel like, I feel like they were trying to say something against homophobia maybe, but I, I feel like when I was a kid, there were so many like gay references in this movie, negative and positive or whatever. I, that could be why I, what was it so positive. Much. There's nothing positive in this movie. I think I just like the line. I love my dead gay son. I just like to say <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. That was the, the choice they did, which was like, kind of subvert it uh, with the guy actually going, he was gay and I love him, you know, mm-hmm. which I think was a good choice. But at the same time, they are saying like, I wonder what he was, his reaction would have been if he was still alive and had been told he was gay, he was gay, if he would be that supportive. I would assume in middle America, probably, you know, and I like, I'd like to think like I'm reading into Christian Slater's line there, like as a modern person would with modern eyes, but that could have been, that could have gone either way. Well, as a moderate gay person too, I mean, yeah. So there's there's lots of things. I, that fucking bag that they made for that suicide with all the things in it, I cannot help but fucking laugh at fucking all of it. I love that fucking bag. Like I lost it. Like when, uh, like well, he pulls out the picture of um the Betty Davis postcard. It's not. It's Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. I thought it was Betty Davis. No, it's Joan Crawford. It's a Joan Crawford profile card or whatever. And I like. Uh, Matt lost it when that happened. And then they just do the mineral, mineral water thing. And I was like, okay. And then when <laughs> the cops don't look at anything, they just pull out the mineral water. Oh my God, they were gay. Yeah. And I just kind of lost it. <laughs> it was like a lover suicide or whatever. And he was like, what? And you just pulled out the mineral. Oh my God, they were facts. I was just like, the fuck? Didn't even look at the the gay porn mag that they put in there. Yeah. Or the Joan Crawford. <laughs> Let's see the, the things that I've, brought to have this at the scene of the crime an issue of stud puppy <laughs> some mascara mineral water was there mascara yeah it was like mascara an issue of stud puppy that joan crawford postcard mineral water yeah and in a tote <laughs> and a, in a flower bag she's like mineral water's come a long way <laughs> this is the midwest if you don't have a brewski in your hand you might as well be wearing a dress or whatever the fuck he says. yes that's exactly what he says oh my god yeah yeah, so like homophobic, but kind of hang, like t- tongue in cheek. Yes. Know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just grasping at straws to figure out why I like this movie so much at a young age. I have no reason. Well, why, why don't I like Adam's Family Values so much? You know, it's because people are having some like real conversations and seeing the world for what it is versus what it should be, or you know, it's none of the the hallmark you know positive posters on the wall in your school type of view of the world. It's showing you what it is and people knowing how to work it and make it funny, you know? Well, and obviously I liked dark things when I was a kid. You know, I watched a lot of horror movies. And so I would also feel like the comedies that I would like would be a little dark. In this movie, dark. I mean, people are dying left and right. And by the end of it, we have a very clear psychopath kind of villain, you know? So... I don't know. We've gotten way off topic on these themes, though. I'll clean my room in exchange for your eternal soul. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's also this theme of like um, really through Christian Slater's character, that degradation uh, of society through nihilism and Mm -hmm. and how how much of a kind of a, a decadence that is. 
right? He's rich. He's wealthy. His, his father's wealthy, but is a fucking sociopath, you know, and he's obviously a psychopath, mm-hmm. you know, and he's been through trauma, hurt people, hurt people. But his view of the world is so um, decadent, like everything is an art, you know, like everything should be seen philosophically, you know, and lives don't matter through that lens or whatever. And it's just bullshit. He really is that character, though. I mean, like everything you just said is like spot on for what that character is. And I would like to believe that no matter what school he's at and all those cities that he mentioned, like Dallas, Baton Rouge, Vegas, whatever, you know, like I feel like he may have done similarly bad things. It's alluded that 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 happened. He's just probably why they had to move, you know, because I don't know. It, you know, it was also like this, this viewpoint of, I have this view of the world and I want everyone to, to see it the way I see it. You know, it's forcing your viewpoint on everyone else in a kind of what a teenager thing to do. Exactly. And it was also kind of weirdly prophetic, right? Yeah. I'm going to force my experience of the world onto you like Columbine, anyone like he looked like he was part of the fucking trench coat mafia. Thank you. Cause I thought that last night. <clears throat> Cause so I, I think I hadn't seen Heather's in maybe like two or three years before last night. And um, when you first see JD in that cafeteria, I was like, is he in a fucking trench coat? Yep. And I was just like, and then he pulls a gun on two people in that cafeteria. I was just like, good Lord, this movie would not be made today. No. And like, if that had happened today and he had like fired blanks in the cafeteria, like he was back at school in like a few days or whatever. And if that happened today, this guy would be like, fucking Hannibal Lecter and like a mouth mask and like carted around on a fucking never see the light of day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He would be wheeled around from cell to cell (laughs) from cell to cell saying shit like Senator, I love your suit. I mean, that's all that he would be able to do. So yeah, I really thought that last night I was just like, this is so Columbine, like really. Um, And that, that is very, very sadly prophetic. You know what I mean? Just just a couple years after this movie's release, we have this like, I'm, rash that continues today i think columbine was like exactly like 10 years after this movie came out jesus christ i don't know but um i feel like i feel like all of these characters in some way act like teenagers like they're they're written very well as different kinds of teenagers right archetypes like you said earlier and he's just one of them you know what i mean like i'm sure that i have acted in some sort of nihilist way as a teenager. I think everyone did. We just didn't take it to extremes, but I certainly know people who did in high school. Yeah. They didn't have trench coats on. Of course. But, right. So I want to talk about the score a little bit. Okay. Because I have always seen Newman on things, and I, I guess I just, I knew there was a couple different Newmans. Right? Obviously, like, there's the singer, and there's the, I didn't know they were all fucking related. It's Thomas Newman? So, David Newman did yeah. this music uh-huh. his first was like frank and weenie he went on to do critters brave little toaster bill and ted's uh movies and the sandlot tommy boy the phantom anastasia which he got an oscar nom for the you know uh, animated one in the 90s galaxy it. quest serenity and the new west side story really yeah even though of course he didn't come up with the music he did the in-betweens you know right so i'm like like this score it reminded me like why does this sound like rugrats and you know therefore american beauty <laughs> Well, (laughs) let me get into it. Oh, shit. So the Newman Dynasty, uh, by the way, they are the most Oscar-nominated family with 12 Oscar wins and 76 noms for a total of 96 total nominations. How? Oh, I'm looking at your notes. I see it now. Yeah. So his younger brother, Thomas Newman, who did uh, Real Genius, The Lost Boys, Fried Green Tomatoes, Scent of a Woman, Shawshank Redemption, Little Women, American Beauty... 
There it is. Mm-hmm. The Green Mile, Finding Nemo, Wally, The Helps, Skyfall, 1917. He has 15 noms and no wins. He hasn't. I thought, oh my God, American Beauty didn't win best score that year. No, because it sounds like fucking Rugrats. So oh, I love that score. <laughs> cousin Randy Newman, of course, did Toy Story. You've got a friend in me. Pleasantville, Monsters, Inc., Cars, Princess and the Frog, Marriage Story. Randomly. With 22 Oscar noms and two wins. Randy Newman was like an actual songwriter. Yes. Right? So and he I also mean, did scores. Yeah. A lot of his nominations came from like best songs. So actively through the 80s, 90s and, and today we've got, uh, you know, David Newman and his brother Thomas Newman and his cousin Randy Newman. And of course, they all have fathers and uncles that were in, you know, that were composers as well. Alfred Newman had nine Academy Award wins. Right. Lionel Newman had one Academy Award and Emil Newman had one nom. Wah, wah. And of course, they have cousins, Maria and Joey, who also compose films. Jesus so this Christ. is a, a fucking film, cons- <laughs> a film scoring. I almost said conspiracy uh, dynasty. Right. It was almost 100 nominations for Oscars between them. I had no fucking idea. I know. <laughs> I just got down to this rabbit hole and I was like, OK, uh, David, Thomas, Randy, Alfred. Lionel, Emil, Maria, and Joey are all film composers, and that's why we keep seeing the name fucking Newman. Maybe some of you know the difference between these people, but some of them sound alike. Some of them sound like trade sounds and stuff, and they all have that like background, and they kind of grew up in New Orleans, right? And so they all kind of have that kind of background for Hollywood film scoring, so they can be eclectic, but they all kind of have this kind of sound that comes from a more eclectic background as well. You know, so it's just really interesting when they do simple scores, they sound alike. When they do big bombastic scores, they start sounding different. So this is blowing my mind right now. Yeah. This is like a fucking Barrymore Fonda like situation of Dynasty. It's crazy. It's absolutely fucking insane. Like, and I, I don't even want to list the movies like Alfred Newman had done, but he'd won a ca- nine Academy fucking awards. That's fucking ridiculous. I wouldn't want to be any of these people's children. <laughs> Like, no, because then you have to under the weight of 100 Oscars. You're like, I don't want to do film scores, I want to be a dancer or something like that. And you're ostracized, black sheep for real. I want to be a dentist. (laughs) (laughs) You got a friend in me, okay? Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, so I had to mention that, but anyway, anyone else does does any of these scores sound like fucking Rugrats theme to you? (laughs) I didn't, I never thought that it sounded like Rugrats. But I don't know that I really noticed the score in this movie too much either. It sounds a little bit like American Beauty and Rugrats. Oh, but I then he'll bring that. in he'll bring in some guitar or like uh, strings that kind of remind you of kind of like a spaghetti western a little bit. Huh. And then there's moments that are more synthesized that remind you of 80s slashers. So this movie has a lot. And so like these people are, are capable of doing lots of different sounds and musical, musical styles, but kind of have that same basic foundation that sounds mm-hmm. alike. And so it's really kind of fascinating to me. And now I'm really going to be paying attention whenever I see a Newman score. That's right. I'm surprised you haven't already made like a playlist, a separate Newman playlist. Oh, I haven't because I really don't like most of their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'll never listen to it. I'll pay attention when I hear a Newman score, but for the wrong reasons. Fuck that dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're serviceable, obviously, you know, but. There was a lot of Oscar nominations. I'd say they're probably more than serviceable. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. But I'm not going anytime soon to listen to Anastasia or whatever the fuck. But what? No, 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 no. That is like one of the best animated movies ever. I love all the songs in that movie. I love Anastasia. It's great. Well, I guess he's got a friend in you. 
It does. I'm probably the only one. I like how you brought up the slasher thing because, I mean, we haven't really talked about some of the more horrific parts of this movie and we're a horror podcast. It's a horror movie. It's just tone. Yeah. It's basically scream, but you're in on the, the wrong perspective and the tone is tongue in cheek. I, I just, I like the way that they are able to create this kind of like slasher Bonnie and Clyde type movie, right? And make it funny and have everything like hinged on them making it look like suicide. You know what I mean? And it's not a huge body count. There's only four people at the end of the day that die, but still. Yeah, it's enough for like high school, you know, and for having one person like one person wanting to do it and the other one sort of like being coerced or going along with it Mm -hmm. for like love reasons or maybe her own. I mean, like deep down, she wanted some of these people to be dead, you know, so I mean, she was complicit still. But by the end of this movie, we have come down to basically the end of a slasher movie. Like Ivanka Trump. What? (laughs) God. Complicit. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, by the end of this movie, we've come down to like the final scenes of a slasher, right? We have one final girl going after the psychopath and having to destroy them before they destroy everything. She's the studio's brunette. She is the studio's brunette out of all those Heathers, right? Um, In a sea of Heathers, she's the final girl. And he really is like a psychopath. And he like lays out all of his trauma and the reasons for doing things. The thing is, is that she doesn't really get to kill him in the end. He kills himself. Right. So the the one. He saw her finally as an equal. I I think I like to think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was she was a good foil, but I feel like there's, there's there's really only one real suicide in this movie and it's his. So I don't know. It's it's a satisfying ending to me. Except for Dump Truck. She tried. And that was like the saddest part. And I like that she had the happy ending. She did have a happy ending. And it, it makes me smile every time she's doing that little like. I shouldn't call her Dump Truck. <laughs> no, it's Martha Dunstock. <laughs> uh, when she's like riding that little rascal in circles around Winona Ryder at the yeah. end. I'm like, oh, it's so cute. What a cute ending. But I, I love I love Veronica at the end of this movie when he's like, I'm going to kill myself or whatever. And he's like, what are you going to do? And she's like, oh, hold on. Let me get a cigarette. And put okay. it in my mouth. <laughs> Lights herself with the explosion. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the end of uh, Ready or Not. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's very, very similar. I think it must that. be a homage, actually. Maybe. I, well, I feel like that happens a lot. I feel like a lot of I think she lights her cigarette with the wreckage outside, sits on the steps and just contemplates her fate after she's cut out of the... That's right. As people start to rush around her, yeah. just like, just like Veronica. My God. Well, and that's the thing is that I feel like a lot of people have seen this movie. I think it's stuck with a lot of people who saw it when they were younger. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there is like nostalgia boner for this movie for sure. Oh yeah. And I feel like it, it completely has influenced filmmakers today. We see pieces of Heather's in lots of different movies. Sure. Right. Um, and I, if, if they try to do it, from like a high school movie perspective, I really don't feel like it would be successful. You cannot recreate what Heather's is. You can have like moments and snippets of it. You could do it with better actors and see what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Should they exist today? I don't even know you would cast in Heather's. I don't, something like this, like remakes like this, this, of this type of movie should be relegated to like musicals or like stage. It really made me want to like pivot and watch things like the craft, you know, which we're actually doing next. But right. I also wanted to kind of get out of that and, and uh, go more into the mainstream a little bit. And made me want to watch clueless, which also takes a little bit of darkness and parody and satire. And of course, drop dead gorgeous, you know, and I also think of more, more recent, of course, like 20 years old now, but mean girls, mm-hmm. uh, all those movies could not exist if Heather shouldn't. Yeah. 
You know, I feel like it really paved the way for those things. This actually made me want to go back and watch John Hughes movies uh, last night. I was like, I kind of feel like I want to watch The Breakfast Club or like 16 Candles. You know what I mean? Because I do like those movies, right? But I remember seeing 16 Candles as a kid and I was bored senseless. 16 Candles is fucking hilarious. Bite your tongue. I might have been too young and I never watched it again. I've never seen another John Hughes. It's incredibly movie. racist, but. <laughs> like I've never, literally never seen The Breakfast Club. I'm like having a fucking aneurysm right now. You've seen a Breakfast Club? Yeah. Okay, we're going to remedy that shit. <laughs> Breakfast Club is amazing. Okay, but that's either here nor there. What other John Hughes movies are there? Pretty in Pink. Nope, haven't seen it. Have you seen... We haven't seen any John Hughes movies then, have you? Six and Carol. Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yes, I love that movie. Okay. Well, love is a strong word. <laughs> I, I've seen that movie. It has that chick from Legend that I like. Mia Sarah. Just <laughs> <laughs> plucked the gay right out of that. <clears throat> uh, do you want to go through all these quotes that's or... who I was in high school I was first fucking Bueller not going to school I, I was, was my own archetype I was Cameron no just kidding I was I his sister most likely to not show up to graduation <laughs> I was uh, I was Ferris's sister that's who I was in high school <laughs> <laughs> Heather fuck me gently with a chainsaw well speaking of which we have quotable quotes lots of them I, I, it's kind of my top 10 but there's 11 <laughs> so I'm going to start at the bottom Heather told me she teaches people real life she said real life sucks losers dry you want to fuck the eagles you have to learn to fly <laughs> and I said to her you're beautiful <laughs> <laughs> dear diary my teen angst bullshit now has a body count <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the fucking voiceover diary moments in this movie so much do you want to take the next one? Yeah, because this next one is my favorite, favorite quote from this movie. Dear Diary, I want to kill, and you have to believe it's for more than just selfish reasons. <laughs> if I am incredibly angry at work, I will just say that shit. <laughs> and no one knows what the fuck I'm talking about. Our love is God. Let's go get a slushy. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. I could have taken that one out, and I would have had a perfect 10. Yeah, I hate it. I hated his delivery of it, and I hated it after the first time he said it. It's just a repeated greetings line. and salutations. Yeah, yeah. How very? <laughs> It'll be very. <laughs> I've also said that a lot too. Yeah. Do you want to go to the bar today? It'll be very. <laughs> More people need to have seen this movie that I associate with. Really, I love my dead gay son. <laughs> <laughs> I love my dead gay son. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, that was probably my favorite. I feel like that line has been parodied also in other things. Probably. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Obviously, we've, we've covered it. Oh, I like when she threw up and Heather C was like, you fucking whore or whatever. And she goes, lick it up, baby. Lick it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the one of the best, which I think you've put in the top 10 quotes. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? Yeah. <laughs> she's she's trying to get her to go talk to the non-popular kids for the lunchtime bowl. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, what's your damage, Heather? What's your damage? I should have put the pull in my dick. Why are you pulling my dick? <laughs> Stop pulling my dick. <laughs> like, pull my dick. <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. Um, and also... I have to mention the line where one of the football players is bullying one of the nerds and he makes him, he wants him to say, I like to suck big dicks. Right. Yeah. So he's bullying him. He's like, say, I like to suck big dicks. And he goes, 
you like to suck big dicks. That just makes me laugh every fucking time. And he's like pulling his arm. I was like, okay, okay. I like to suck big dicks. Mm, oh, I can't get enough of it. God, why do I laugh so hard at He that? goes off on this long ad lib about it. I'm like, hmm, maybe he does like to suck big dicks. I mean, there. Really that, that's the fucking reason why I liked this movie so much when I was a kid. Because I wanted to suck big dicks. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. We found it. Do you have any fun facts for me? Uh, yes, I do. Lay them on me. You will be the judge. You and the listeners will be the judge. <laughs> as to whether or not they're fun? Yeah. Okay. So in the original version of the script, JD successfully blows up Westerberg High, and the final scene features a surreal prom gathering of all the students in heaven. Oh. Executives at New World Pictures agreed to finance the film, but they disliked the dark ending and insisted that it be changed. Thank God. Good call. That's stupid. That would have been stupid. I hated the dream sequence anyway. Yeah. I mean, I like the the funeral part of the dream sequence, but the rest of it. Yeah, where they're all in like Hawaiian gear or whatever the fuck. And... Well, yeah. And then I just like, that's the one sermon that I like the most is like the dream one where he's like, Eskimo. Or whatever. <laughs> I hope she's rubbing noses in heaven. <laughs> it's just goofy. So the role of Heather McNamara was originally offered to then 17-year-old Heather Graham. Oh, I could see that. I didn't realize she would have been that young then. Uh, Heather's parents refused to let her take the role because of the dark subject matter. I mean, I thought she would have been younger than that. Younger than 17? Yeah. Yeah, because she looks really young in fucking um, Boogie Nights. Yeah. Which came out 10 years later. Yeah. Good Lord. Okay. So Brad Pitt auditioned for the role of JD, but he was rejected because he was considered, quote, too nice. Brad Pitt would later star with Christian Slater, of course, in Interview with the Vampire and True Romance. <laughs> which which I completely messed up in my head. I, was just like, <laughs> I made this weird movie where fucking Christian Slater and Winona Ryder were in a vampire movie together. I don't know. I think he would have been too hot. Brad Pitt? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't seem like an outsider. No. Because I mean, like, he seems like he would be insider. We, so, listeners and <laughs> patrons, for. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> jesus christ again and again so oh uh, i don't know what i was gonna say keep going (laughs) yeah so the role of veronica was intended for jennifer conley who turned it down Mm, i can't see anybody but winona writer doing that yeah, and I wouldn't want to. I think Jennifer Connelly could have done it, but uh, one owner writer did an amazing job. I don't think Jennifer Connelly's that funny. I think she's more dramatic. She, yeah, she hasn't really had the comedic chance, really. The only movie I've seen her in that's a comedy is Career Opportunities. Have you seen that? Where that they gets, they're in that Target overnight and it gets robbed? Am I the only person who's seen this movie? Probably. Uh, she was a little bit, I mean, you could say Labyrinth has some funny moments, but she's always the foil for yeah. that. She's always the person like. Same in this movie. Yeah. Like every everyone else is funny except for Jennifer Connelly in this comedy. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know. Uh, some reviewers have discussed similarities between Heather's and Massacre at Central High, which is a low budget 1976 film. Daniel Waters has stated that he had not seen Massacre at Central High at the time he wrote Heathers, but that he had read a review of it in Danny Purley's book about cult movies and that the earlier film may have been rattling around somewhere in his subconscious. I've never seen this movie, but I've heard it mentioned in tandem with Heathers. Okay. So I I can't speak to that really. Well, listeners, uh, let us know if you've seen Massacre at Central High and how much is it alike. 
Because he could have just plagiarized all of it. Yeah. Mm. That would explain his career. So. (laughs) Jesus. God. (laughs) JD tricks Veronica into killing the jocks by claiming to use an Ishluga bullets, which he claims only pierce the skin. Ishluga in German is I lie or I'm lying. Uh, So right before he tells her this, he he asks if she knows German. (laughs) I I knew this one because um, my friend Erica, who listens to this podcast, and I used to watch this movie and talk about it a lot, I think, in high school. And she told me that's what it meant. Yeah. And I instantly you heard that. that. I'm just like, really? Like, who's going to believe this? So that's the whole thing where it's like, uh, I'm hanging on some, like, what is it? Like, hanging on suspense or whatever the fuck it is. You're not suspending your disbelief? I'm not suspending my dis- my, my disbelief when she's so fucking idiot- idiotic. Yeah. Like, if she's not very smart, is she? <laughs> like, when she's going along with, like, his stuff, like... It, it, First of all, for their first kill. And then she's like going along. She's like shooting guns that are not blanks at people thinking the bullets are not are just going to go skin deep and not actually like make you pass out somehow. And then like later on, I'm like, stop. I don't think it's a question of her being smart or not. I think that she actually wants to do it. I think she's inconsistently written. I, I mean, I feel like she's consistently motivationally. I, I feel like she wanted these people dead and then subconsciously she knew what was happening and she went along with it complicitly. Like she she is equally to blame for these people's deaths. He said he, he said that. I mean, he he hung a lantern on it because he was like, um, "You knew, yeah. You know, I was just giving you an out." She did. She everything that she wanted to happen, he made happen for her, right? And so clearly, I I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other long conversation that we can get into. But yeah, I feel but it's like boring. So we're not going to do that. It's not boring. <laughs> I, she, she's just as much a villain as he is until the end of the movie. In, in a kind of way, like yeah. a, maybe, maybe. Originally, the book that suicidal students supposedly underlined meaningful passages was The Catcher in the Rye, which actually makes sense. The producers could not get permission from J.D. Salinger to use the book, so it was changed to Moby Dick because Herman Melville's works are in the public domain. I was wondering about that. I was like, why Moby Dick? (laughs) I could definitely see Catcher in the Rye, though, because that's been used by, I think, several uh, killers. Uh, uh, Most famously, I think, the assassinator of... um, John Lennon. Uh huh. That's right. He was several underlined passages in that. I'm sure. And Catcher in the Rye is always that like outsider teenage book that everyone latches on to. You know what I mean? Like I read Catcher in the Rye in high school. I didn't latch onto it, but Moby Dick. I hate Moby Dick. I don't even want to talk about it or think about it anymore. <laughs> Melville. God. Great American author. Yeah, I'm sure. Moby Dick sucks. Eskimo. (laughs) (laughs) So Christian Slater has stated that his performance was heavily inspired by Jack Nicholson. No fucking shit. (laughs) When I saw that, I got so much validation. He claims that he wrote a letter to Nicholson asking him to watch the film, but didn't receive an answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun fact. (laughs) Thank you. For sure. Jesus. Okay. So for my last one, writer Daniel Waters said in an interview, I did come up with this crazy cockamamie Heathers 2 idea where Veronica becomes a page for a senator named Heather, played by Meryl Streep. (gasps) The ending is her assassinating the president and getting away with it. And it's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Dear Diary, I want to assassinate the president. And you have to believe it is for more than selfish reasons. (laughs) My political aspirations have a body count. (laughs) Okay, I would totally watch that. I would love that movie today 
or even in the next 10 or 20 years and her actually like be a senator herself. And she's dealing with like the Heathers from several different oh states. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> like one of them's the whip or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to like crazy Congress parties and shit like that. And then there is like an assassination of some of the senators. The fucking Marjorie Greens of it all. Please. That'd be a, such a good movie. Oh my God. Who's going to play her uh, Christian Slater character. Oh my God. It's that fucking gay dude or whatever that lied about everything. Oh, the, the drag the drag queen one yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god I forgot his name why is my mind going blank <laughs> anyway that's so funny oh my god I would love that movie please make it let's do it let's do it together yes quick before Meryl Streep dies <laughs> and we'll we'll cast Brad Pitt because <laughs> we know today that he's not that nice <laughs> <laughs> no no he is not okay those facts were fun those were good I mean we'll see what the listeners have to say but I'm voting yay we have some questions to ask about Heather's like we do about every movie that we talk about. And we are going to start with, is Heather's a horror movie? Not really, but it could be, right? Because we already mentioned that everything is for a horror movie is in this movie, mm-hmm. right? It's all about tone. Yep. All of the ingredients are there. We've got our final girl. We've got our murders where the perspective is different. and uh, But that's not even unique for a horror movie. And, uh, you know, it's, it's literally just that tongue in cheek tone of the movie. And even the score is a little bit horror-y in, in places. So I, I want to say this is solidly adjacent because it's literally just tonal shift that would make this completely a horror movie. I would agree with you. I would squarely say that it's adjacent for sure. This is a horror adjacent kind of movie. I think the subject matter is incredibly dark and, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, all the ingredients are there. It's just presented in a different kind of way. Yeah. Like, I I feel like people who like horror movies would like this, right? Like, he- Heather's is on Shudder, for crying out loud. You know what I mean? Like, Joe Bob Briggs did it on the last drive-in. So, I mean, like, horror fans like this movie. And I don't think it's unheard of to, like, sort of put it in that horror Venn diagram, you know? Sure. Were you scared while watching Heather's? No. Yeah, neither was I ever out of five stars what would you rate it i gave it a three and a half and that was hard because i really wanted to give it a four because of its cult classic status and because there's so many good one-liners and uh at least one to two really good performances but so many things like pulled me out of it um you know a lot of it lasts the test of time and some of it just doesn't um he tried to make some of those lines timeless and some of them are and some of them aren't yeah it's just inconsistent the acting is inconsistent the music is inconsistent some of it slaps some of it's not great you know and it just t- kept taking me out of the movie in these moments but it's so good when it's good yeah. right and so and overall it's a good experience so that's why i give it a three and a half which to me is a pretty good movie i gave it four stars which and- can exist separate from its cult classic status you know yes i mean i think i think a three and a half is is a good rating for anybody watching this in a vacuum it's more than like the, a lot of movies are more good than they are important or more important than they are good and this is one of those it's, it's more important than it is good i i mean i think it's a really good movie I mean, I think I was surprised that I gave it four stars because I, I going into it, I was just like, it was going to be a five star movie for sure. You know what I mean? Like Nostalgia Boner alone, I thought would like push it into the five star area. But no, I mean, I think like four stars is a good rating for this. And a lot of it, too, is like I feel like it is very important more so than it is good, maybe. And you're right. Like on this particular watch, I noticed some inconsistencies and I was just like, um, yeah, you know, and maybe I have just seen it too many times and and there's a couple of moments where it kind of belabors the point. There's some scenes that could have been cut, you know, that kind of halt the movies, you know, uh, 
you know, forward movement. Yeah. And no, I so completely agree with that. It's a little uneven. It is. But I mean, I, I like my four star rating. I think I'll stick with that. Yeah. Um, we'll see if it changes on my next rewatch. So finally, and some would say most important, who's the hottest guy in Heather's? Who's that radio announcer guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're kidding, right? No. The one who was <laughs> certainly wasn't Christian fucking later. The one who was doing that show where they call in and make their confessions. Yeah. He was kind of woofy. I don't know. Woofy. I. Okay. This is gross. But I like Kurt. The football jock. The football player. Not the goofy looking one. The, the pretty Mr. One. Pretty Eye guy or like the one with the big blue eyes. No. No, 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 the other one. Okay. Not the not the one I was like, I want Madonna to sit on my face. Not that one. The other one. Oh. The other guy. That or like JD's dad is kind of hot to me. I know. They're both kind of gross choices. I feel bad. I kind of want to take a shower after saying that. But Please. I mean, <laughs> not I kinda Christian wanna, Slater. I, I kind of want to take a shower after you said that. <laughs> I've never found Christian Slater attractive. Like, no. I just don't. No. I just, no. Nope. Oh, well. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Heathers. As always, we want to know what you think about this movie and our conversation about it. You can find us on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Fuck Robert gently with a chainsaw. Mmm. I like to suck big dicks. <laughs> How very. How. <laughs> Dear listeners, I want to end this podcast, but I swear it's not for selfish reasons. <laughs> well, let's start to wrap it up then. <laughs> Guys, <clears throat> we need some reviews to read on our next Shooting the Flames episode, so head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us why you like us. We're going to read that. And as always, if you need more Film Flamers content, and we know that you do, Head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers and join the family, get all of our bonus content and help us decide which movies that we talk about. Stay tuned for next week when we deep dive into the craft. That's right. More frenemy conversations. And uh, for any of you stragglers, if it hasn't already been decided, uh, we have a poll over there on Patreon where it's looking like things are heading towards a Diablo Cody place. <sighs> I don't know. I'm both happy and sad about that, but that's yeah. okay. You still have time. Go check it out. Vote in that poll, Manol. Wait, we'll save that shit for next week. <laughs> Chris, I think it's time uh, for us to go off and find ourselves. To fuck ourselves hard. gently with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> How very. <laughs> have it inside us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe then we can have some. Dead gay sons. <laughs> I love my dead gay son. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up. <laughs> You're beautiful. Okay, that's enough. Sweet, Sweet dreams. dreams. <laughs> that ending was very. What's your damage? What's your damage, Chris? It's the pull of my dick. <laughs> God, it's funnier when we say it. <laughs> Telling you. <laughs>